and we didn't realize that all the gas stations closed at like 9 o'clock. When we were driving on the ice, it like caved in and we went down. He said, I'm going to get you back for this. They both got out and were flying around. We love stories! It's time for The Appleseed, a show filled with all kinds of stories for you and your family. On The Appleseed, we believe that great stories can change your world. And sometimes a great story can help you find the words to express your thoughts and your feelings. And we hope that in today's stories, you'll find something meaningful that will open up great conversations with your loved ones. I'm your host, Sam Payne. And today we've got an hour of stories for you about, well, let's say stepping up into who you really are. Now, if you don't know what we mean by that, here's an example. You can close your eyes for a minute, unless you're driving, then by all means, keep your eyes open and on the road. Now picture the famous painting, The Starry Night. You know that painting? I bet you could picture it instantly, or maybe, or it's easy to find if you look it up. The swirling night sky, the bright glowing moon and stars, the sleeping village below. It's of course painted by Vincent van Gogh, one of the most famous artists ever to live. His paintings hang in the world's most prestigious museums. They sell for many millions of dollars. People look at them, enjoy them, and are inspired by them all over the world. But it might surprise you to know that earlier on in his life, he had kind of stumbled from one failed job to another. And his career as an artist only lasted a few short years at the end of his life. Early on, he was an art dealer, a French and math teacher, a bookstore clerk, a preacher. In the midst of his career struggles, he often wrote letters to his brother, expressing his deep desire to find his place in the world. On one occasion, he wrote, I am still far from being what I want to be, but with God's help I shall succeed. And another time, he wrote, I'm good for something. There's something within me. So what is it? As we all know now, that something was making those beautiful paintings, and the world is a richer and more beautiful place because he kept searching until he found the thing he was meant to do. Well, we've got some stories like that for you today of people stepping into being the person they really want to be. And I should say to any Van Gogh fans out there, one of our stories takes place in the art world sort of. First up, we've got a ballad spoken in rhythmic verse about John Henry, the steel-driving man. Started off working on a riverboat, but it wasn't until he joined a railroad crew that he became the American folk hero that he is. So John said, I'll take the test for all these men have worked hard all across this land. Because before I let my steel gang down, I'll die with a hammer in my hand. Yes, he did. Just a tiny bit of hammers of steel rang out. A story told for you by Charlotte Blake Alston, recorded live in the Appleseed studio. And that's coming up. And after that, an original audio drama we've cooked up in our secret lab. It's about a family with an unusual hobby. This fictional family travels the world pulling off elaborate heists to recover priceless works of art that have been stolen. Sounds exciting, right? But there's one member of the team who thinks she's maybe destined for something different than the heist life. And me, I've got the steadiest hands around. You need a lock picked or a precise hole cut in glass? I'm your girl. <laughs> Just a tiny clip from our audio drama, The Glass Cutter, that you're going to hear later on in the hour. Lots of great stuff today, so let's dive right in with Charlotte Blake Alston, the wonderful musician and storyteller. She's got a wonderfully rhythmic spoken ballad about the folk hero John Henry. She shared it with us in the Appleseed studio, along with our terrific studio audience. Here's the story on the Appleseed. <laughs> Thank you. Just outside of Philadelphia. So I have to name my little borough uh, Lansdowne because they do claim me uh, <laughs> uh, there. And uh, we're, we're uh, one of the older uh, boroughs uh, on, on uh, Philadelphia's southwestern border. There's another one that has a similar name that's north of the city called Lansdale. And we often get confused with Lansdale. So we actually have T-shirts that say down, not Dale. Uh, so I'm in Lansdowne, Pennsylvania. So uh, uh, this is a story of one of America's folk heroes, 
And what's unique about him and why I chose to uh, speak this story as a spoken ballad is because he is uh, the only folk hero who is of African uh, descent. So this is the story of John Henry. There are lots of ballads sung about John Henry. Um, And uh, uh, if you don't No, John, you're not familiar with that story. Of course, in the early days of America, the infrastructure was created with physical strength, with men's actual manual labor. And that included when they made the decision to run a railroad from the West Coast to the East Coast, it was men who laid the track through all kinds of terrain, including... Uh, going through mountains. And so they would have men who had these long steel spikes that they would hold up against the rock. Men like John Henry had a 5, 10, 15-pound steel uh, hammer who would hit the end of that steel spike, drive it into the mountain. They would hit it until it went in deep enough, and this would be several of them, deep enough so that the powder men could put dynamite sticks into that indentation, into those holes, and blast that part of the rock, cart it away, and they'd start that process all over again until they had literally hammered their way through the rock. So, of course, a man came along who invented a steam drill, said this steam drill can replace the men, can replace the manual labor. John Henry stepped up and said, if you're going to use the steam drill, you're going to put men out of work. I'm going to prove to you that a man is worth more than a machine, and he races the machine. So this is my spoken ballad of John Henry. <clears throat> Hammers of steel rang out. Now that's your part. <laughs> Hammers of steel rang out. 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 He was born in Missouri in the 1840s. Others say that Alabama was the place. Some say he was nothing but a Louisiana man or the one North Carolinians embrace. Legend says that he was born with a hammer in his hand. That's the way the story goes. I can't imagine how his mama endured that pain, so I'll spare you the birthing woes. They say the frog stopped frogging and the cricket stopped cricking and the mighty winds quieted down. All of nature was a-watching and a-waiting and a-listening for that itty-bitty baby sound. And as soon as baby John drew his first breath, the mighty rivers roared. Baby John jumped down, started crawling around, banging his hammer on the cabin floor. Yes, he did. Hammers of steel rang out. 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 Well, Lord have mercy, his mama cried. Now, I'm not one to complain, but I want you to know that it feels like I just gave birth to a full-grown man. Well, he wasn't quite a man, but he certainly grew to be a big, tall, strapping boy. And plowing, planting, hauling, lifting was the kind of work he enjoyed. Legend says one day as an itty-bitty boy when he was sitting on his daddy's knee, He pointed his finger at a great piece of steel and said, that steel going to be the death of me. Well, he soon grew bored with farm-type work. He had an itching to travel the land. So he went to find work that would make better use of the strength that he had in his hands. Yes, he did. Hammers of steel rang out. 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 Well, he got a job working on a river boat, and that suited his fancy just fine. And soon his story was being told all up and down the river boat line. For one dark night, one stormy night, the river boat paddle wheel broke. We're taking on water, the captain cried. We got to bail to stay afloat. Well, young John Henry jumped on the deck, eased across a wooden plank. And before you could say great God from Zion, he jumped down onto the paddle wheel crank. Well, he pushed, pulled, moaned and groaned, and the paddle wheel started to turn. John Henry pushed that riverboat back into port by the crack of dawn. Yes, he did. Hammers of steel rang out. 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 Well, after spending some time on a river boat, he was yearning for a bigger test. 
He heard men talking about railroad tracks being laid from the east to the west. They're laying track across prairies, rivers, plains, going to blast through the mountain's core. John Henry got excited, thought to himself, this is the challenge I've been waiting for. They needed men of strength to wield 10-pound hammers to drive those steel spikes through so the powder men could put in the dynamite, blast it, and cart away the residue. Well, they reached the mountain, and that was the place where Big John's true test began. But all he was thinking was, it feels so good to have a hammer in my hands again. And yes, he did. Hammers of steel rang out. 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 Well, the men start singing and the hammers start swinging and they swung those hammers all day. Each crew worked hard and fast as they could, but John Steel Gang led the way. Nobody had ever seen such a man like Johnny did the job of ten strong men. And from the owner to the foreman to the water boy, everybody was in awe of him. But one day, one day, a man showed up to the boss. I could save you time. This brand new steam joke could do the work of all the hammers on the steel gang line. Well, John spoke up. I don't know about that. These are good, hardworking men. They've laid track for you all across this land, and they'll be loyal until the end. No matter how hardworking they might be, there's no man who could beat a machine. And I dare anybody to challenge the thought that he could beat a drill powered by steam. See, this here man didn't know John Henry hadn't heard about the paddle boat wheel. And there was nobody better than Big John Henry at swinging those hammers of steel. So John said, I'll take the test for all these men have worked hard all across this land. Because before I let my steel gang down, I'll die with a hammer in my hand. Yes, he did. Hammers of steel rang out. 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 Well, the stage was set. The Big Ben Tunnel was the site of the big showdown. One look in John's eye and you knew he was not going to let his steel gang down. Come on, little Bill, grab them steel spikes. You and me's got work to do. Bill shook John's hand and said, there's nobody that I'd rather do this with than you. It was on John's back that the jobs of all these hardworking men would ride. So he calmed himself and prepared to hammer until the belly of the mountain sighed. Little Bill grabbed one of the handheld spikes and placed it against the rock. John Henry picked up a 10-pound maul and prepared to race the clock. The men stepped back to watch. There was so much tension in the air. You could cut that thickness with a knife and still have more than your share. Well, they got into position, side by side, the steam drill and the man. Bill heaved a sigh, tightened his grip, steadied the steel spike with his hands. The foreman called out number one. The operator's hand started to twitch. The foreman called out number two. The nervous hand went towards the switch. The foreman dropped his hands on three, and the steam drill roared to life. But the very first hit they heard was steel on steel. John Henry had made first strike. Hammers of steel rang out. 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 Hiss, hiss, pop, 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 pop. The steam drill chugged and churned. And shovel after shovel after shovel of coal, that steam drill quickly burned. And John Henry was slamming that spike so hard and fast that it got red hot. Little Bill had to drop it, picked up another. John Henry kept up the fight. Give me a 20-pound hammer, give it to me quick. He tossed the 10-pound hammer away. And the sound of steel on steel echoed all through the mountains and the canyons that day. But swinging one hammer wasn't good enough. Give me a second when the big man cried. He was swinging both hammers so fast that you could barely see it with the naked eye. They poured water on the steam drill to keep it cool as man and machine kept pace. Drilling deeper and deeper until the stone cold rocket wasn't clear who was winning the race. But John kept going, swinging both hammers till everybody could see that where Big John Henry had dug five feet, the machine had only dug three. Ah! Six foot, eight foot, ten foot, John was out drilling the drilling machine. When the steam drill reached the eight foot mark, John Henry had reached 13. Pour water, pour water, shovel in more coal. We can't stop drilling now. But the machine couldn't keep 
keep up with Big John's pace seemed to be slowing down. Then all of a sudden, the steam drill started shaking, shuddered, and it came to a halt. The machine overheated, stopped dead cold, seemed to be falling apart. Yeah, woohoo! All the men cried, he did it, he beat that thing. The two holes he drilled totaled 14 feet, the machine couldn't manage 10. Well, John stopped swinging, and all of a sudden, a beam of light shone in his eyes. He had hammered his way through the last bit of rock and broken through to the other side. But when John stepped out into the light, drew in a slow, deep breath, his body gave out. He collapsed to the ground just the way he'd predicted his death. Well, both man and machine were silent. The hammers no longer rang, but the rhythm of the strikes could be felt in the hearts of every member of John Steele gang. Well, they carried him off the mountain and buried him in the sand. And people came from the east and the west to visit the grave of this man. And if you make your way to the Big Bend Tunnel, there's a statue on that spot. It's been vandalized, pulled off its stand, peppered with buckshot. But no buckshot will stop the stories and songs from being told throughout this land of Big John Henry, the steel-driving man who died with a hammer in his hands. Hammers of steel rang out. 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 John Henry, leader of the steel driving gang. Hammers of Steel Rang Out, a spoken ballad performed by Charlotte Blake Alston. In just a moment, a little talk back with friends about that story, followed by an original audio drama about a family that pulls elaborate heists together. You won't want to miss a word. I'm Sam Payne. A moment ago, it was our pleasure to listen in the Appleseed studio as Charlotte Blake Alston told us the story of John Henry. Hammers of steel rang out, she calls it. And it's a pleasure to sit around the desk with our producers, Dr. Brian Tanner, Dr. Heather Bigley. Guys, thanks for joining me. Hello. Great to be here. Let's talk about uh, John Henry. Let's talk about hammers of steel rang out. Where did this story take you guys? When you look at who the historic John Henry is and how, you know, he was— he was born into slavery. Um, people think that the historical figure was probably on a prison chain gang mm. uh, because of the black codes of reconstruction that would have that very quickly, you know, sort of re-enslave black men without calling it slavery. Sure. And yeah. yet here is this person who has all these horrible constraints put on him. And he shows that he is strong and driven and hardworking and brave and he's got the heart of a hero yeah and i think that's why we sing that song mm-hmm. I, I, it's about dignity you know i mean this is something that has not gone away i've heard the story of john henry and the the race against the drill and the sure. driving men and the the railroad and everything but the the introductory part about him working on the steamships i i've the different detours that life can take. You know, I've mentioned on this show many times that I was an opera singer in a future, in a, excuse me, in a past life. Um, <laughs> I don't do very much of that anymore. And it's just like, well, was that not worth it? You know, yeah. th- does that not mean anything? It was just like, well, no, you accrue all these experiences and your life takes all these turns. And yeah. I've I've done this kind of job. I've done that. We kind of zigged and zagged back and forth. And everything is just kind of experience that can hopefully make you a richer, rounder person when you do step into the thing that's going to be your duel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
I got acquainted with this story long before I was really conscious of, for example, Moses, who leads the children of Israel to the promised land, but the promised land isn't for him. Right. Mm-hmm. Or and, and long before I would become acquainted with, with like, Frodo Baggins, <laughs> yeah. who saves the Shire, but not for him. Right. You know? and, uh, and, and this notion of the hero who, who in the end— Is know, ultimately shut out, though, right? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And you just spoiled the Lord of the Rings and the Book of Exodus. That's right. <laughs> for so many so, people. For so many people. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. Well, there's more coming. This story <laughs> This story brought to mind, for me, a memory that I'd like to share as today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it. On the Appleseed. You know that phenomenon where you've read or heard a story and you think you know the story and what it means and you feel like whatever effect it's going to have in your life, it's kind of already had, and then you stumble on the story again, sometimes years later, and it seems to speak to you in a whole new way. You see things you never saw. The story is brand new again. Maybe that's happened to you. Happens to me a lot. I remember I thought I knew the novel Frankenstein pretty well, the original 1818 story by Mary Shelley. And then a few years ago, I had the flu, and looking for something to read, I pulled Frankenstein down off the shelf. I mean, what the heck, right? And it was like I'd never read it at all before. It came alive for me like a brand new experience. Kind of took the lousy edge off having the flu, to be honest. It's happened with other stories, too. It happens all the time with stories from the Bible, for example. I've known so many Bible stories since I was a little kid that I sometimes take for granted that I've already had the experience there is to have with them. And then I read one again, and somehow the stories are new and enormous. It happened to me last time I read the story of Esther in the Old Testament. Esther in captivity with her people, rising to be queen to Ahasuerus, king of Persia. From the story in the Bible, we don't know a lot about Esther at first. We don't know anything, for example, about what sort of person she is. We know she's surpassingly beautiful. We know that the king prefers her to Vashti, the old queen. Vashti is also beautiful. And because she won't strut around to be hooted at and hollered at by the king's drunken pals, Vashti is, well, she's essentially fired as queen. So Esther, after a long, well, let's call it a talent search, gets the gig. And the other thing we know is that no one knows that Esther is a Jew. And people who tell the story of Esther have a lot of ideas about Esther's religious dedication and her care for the plight of her people outside the palace walls. But the truth is we just don't know. She's kind of a passive character, at least in the beginning. She's not like her cousin, for example. Esther has this cousin named Mordecai, who's kind of an activist. In the story, he's the one, in fact, who originally has the idea of putting Esther forward as a candidate for queen. And there's this subplot in the story in which Mordecai foils an assassination attempt and receives royal honor for it. And there's a prince close to the king named Haman who burns with jealousy that Mordecai is honored like that. It's all super palace intrigue but Esther isn't much a part of it, not really. And in fact, in this kind of important moment when Mordecai refuses to bow down in reverence to Prince Haman, Haman hatches a plot to get the king to sign off on the killing of all the Jews in the kingdom. And the king does sign off on it. I mean, it doesn't happen yet, but the king does sign off on it. That's all going on while Esther is busy being queen, though she doesn't really know it's all happening. She doesn't know it's happening, that is, until she hears the cries of mourning in the city outside the king's gate, including the cries of her cousin, Mordecai. And she sends an emissary to learn why everyone is so sad. And the emissary brings word from Mordecai back into the palace. And that's how Esther finds out that her people are doomed to be killed. And Mordecai wants Esther to go and talk to the king about the killing decree. And that's terrifying to Esther. After all, it's unlawful to go and talk to the king without a summons. 
And we're talking about King Ahasuerus, who fired the last queen just because she wouldn't show off her beauty on demand. And of course, this would probably mean Esther would have to come out as a Jew, too. And she's terrified. You'd be terrified, too. I'd be terrified, too. And then Mordecai says the thing that's really the whole reason I'm telling this story at all. Or rather, he sends the emissary back to Esther with this message. He tries to give Esther the courage to do something for her people by saying, Who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Essentially, he says, Who knows? This might be the very thing you came here for. And that moment is the hinge on which the whole story turns. Esther, who until this time, let's face it, hasn't done much in the story, steps up all by herself, risks her life by going unsummoned to the king, eventually telling him that she's a Jew and asking him if she's found any favor at all in the king's sight, that her own life be spared and the lives of her people. Esther content during the whole story so far simply to be queen, to keep her identity a secret and just be queen, catches the vision of who she might be, what she might do. And she does it. And her people are saved. It's a great story, right? And the last time I read it, it came alive for me in a new way. Almost at the moment I put the book down, I started noticing circumstances in my own life, times when problems would come up around me or around people I love, times when before I might have been tempted to say, golly, I hope someone takes care of this. But now I'm tempted to look at myself and say to myself, as Mordecai asks the emissary to say to Esther, who knows, this might be the very thing you came here for, Sam. Friends suffering cruelty or prejudice at the hands of bullies Who knows, this might be the very thing you came here for, Sam. Daughter in need of comforting or even just a sandwich during an illness. Who knows, this might be the very thing you came here for, Sam. Litter box needs scooping. (laughs) Who knows, this might be the very thing you came here for, Sam. I'm being a little smart-alecky here, I guess, but for sure, the story of Esther has become kind of an important tale for me. After all... If you don't do stuff, how will anyone know who you really are? The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining me for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. We always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share with the people that you love. That kind of storytelling can make for memories that last a lifetime. A pleasure to talk about Hammers of Steel Rang Out, that version of the John Henry story told for us by Charlotte Blake Alston, performed in the Appleseed Studio before our terrific live audience. And, of course, Heather Bigley and Brian Tanner around the desk talking with me about about it. Guys, thanks for joining me. Hey, thank you. Thanks. Lots more coming up on the Appleseed. audio drama, an audio drama called The Glass Cutter, and it's my pleasure to have, uh, joining me in the studio, a couple of the folks who helped us bring that to life. I've got uh, Daniel Davis with me, Daniel Davis of sound design fame. Daniel, thanks for joining me. (laughs) Happy to be here, Sam. Thanks for bringing me in. And I've also got one of the wonderful actors for this piece. This is, of course, Lisa Valentine Clark, also host of The Lisa Show, one of the uh, terrific programs in our family of programs at BYU Radio. And Lisa, it's such pleasure to have you with me. Thank you, Sam, for having me. Let's talk about the glass cutter. I guess first, Daniel, for you and your team, what was this like to put together? It was exciting. All these cool locations, you know, we started reading through the script. We saw skydiving. We saw snowmobiles, you know, (laughs) wintry winds. It was just a really fun project to work on. So for you, of course, it was the the pushing of buttons, the finding of sound effects, all of that stuff. And, uh, And for you, Lisa, it was just with your 
imagination, putting yourself in that environment. You you play the mother in this. Oh, yes. And I remember reading the script for the first time and thinking, they have to let me do this. This (laughs) is who I want to be, you know? I want to be the mom that, of course, is concerned about, you know, her children, but also is the mom with a plan, Sure, you know, that knows what to do and how to do it and is a little bit mysterious. And so this was a dream come true for me. (laughs) So without making it a lot less mysterious, sort of set up, set set this up for us, Lisa. Yeah. Yeah, you bet. This mom, she has a certain idea of what everyone's supposed to do, what the roles are in the family. And I really relate to that a lot. You know, I have five kids myself and you see them grow up and you think, okay, this is who they are. This is what they should do. You know, I know best because I love them the most. So I should just, and when you find that your kid wants to do something different, that's something that you might not have considered before or wants to be a little different and it's just not in your wheelhouse, it can make you feel a little like, uh, uh, untethered, and and in you know, our best sort of uh, desires as as parents, right, to to lead and steer and guide our children. Sometimes we get in their way of being who they really are, and so I, I, I like this mom because she's real and she struggles with it in real time with a specific set of skills that I don't want to you know necessarily <laughs> you know give away. But together as a family, they they figure it out. They don't just do it individually. Uh, do you find yourself? Daniel, are you, do you come from a long line of sound designers or have there been moments in your life where you've said, you know, the path that the others in my family have taken is, you know, I'm going to take this other path. Is that, has that, was that a moment for you? Yeah, it was. Well, and for me, my parents were always just a little bit hands off. They never told me I shouldn't do this, but they also kind of never pushed me to do, you know, sound or music or these things that I engage in. Yeah. It was always sort of, yeah, I mean, whatever floats your boat, man. <laughs> Good luck out there. And so. So I think that's I good could, parenting, though. That's just <laughs> solid parenting. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I in some ways I can relate because, you know, my parents, they weren't setting me up with all these opportunities and they didn't put me in all of these programs that really prepared me for where I am today. Yeah. But in some ways, you know, it's really different from my parents because my parents also never told me, no, you shouldn't do that. You should go be, you know, a surgeon. <laughs> right. <laughs> what you're looking for in a parent is a parent who uses language like, whatever floats your boat, man. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Confirmed. And, and Lisa, as a real-life mom, right, you've watched this kind of thing unfold with your own kids, right? Oh, 100%. Um, My kids are so different. Yeah. And what I identified that they were good at or, or where I kind of wanted them to go obviously yeah. is something that, like, you know, that I could share with them, right? Yeah, that right. we could talk about it. You know, why not go into acting and storytelling and, I mean, it's not very practical, but, but, but it is something that could, you know, connect us. And so when one of my children wants to go into Japanese literature, which I know absolutely nothing about, you know, at first there's this kind of hesitancy to say, well, but I don't know anything about that. I can't help you provide opportunities or mentors or things like that. But just to see them be able to go off and say, for whatever reason, I feel very, very passionate about this. And to see them thrive in it is really, really thrilling. And that's something that I hadn't considered before. So that was a nice surprise. And please, one of you, please become a lawyer or a surgeon. (laughs) But, you know, just kidding. (laughs) Well, here it is. We're going to hear it now. The glass cutter here on The Appleseed. All right, everyone. Let's go over the plan one last time. Helen and Dad crawl through the Northwest air duct until you reach the fortress's gallery room. Wait to remove the grate from the wall until precisely 3.17 a.m. when... The guard heads down the south corridor and we can drop out of the vent unseen. It's essential that Jackson... Remotely disables the security cameras and alarm system just before you enter the room. Once it's disarmed, you have exactly five minutes to recover the artifact before the guard returns. Helen will take the glass cutter and... Helen? Helen, darling. Helen. Helen! Sorry, what? Honey, have you even been listening? This is a very important mission. It's the first time the location of this antiquity has been known since it was first stolen 50 years ago. We need you on your A-game. What were you listening to anyway? Oh, nothing. Just doing some Duolingo? In case we run into the Italian guards? The audiobook of Dr. Dexter's Abdominal Surgery Guide? 
Oh, pumpkin. <laughs> what are you talking about? I can see it on your phone, sitting there on the table. Oh, Helen, you promised us that you'd forget all this surgeon stuff and focus on what's really important. Recovering stolen artworks and antiquities and returning them to their proper home. Helen's in trouble. Helen's in trouble. Jackson! I can't explain! How do I explain? As you might have guessed, we're not your typical family. We come from a long line of art thieves on my dad's side. But in college, he met my mom in an art history class, and she taught him that great art should belong to the whole world. Now we track down stolen works of art and return them to their rightful owners. Honestly, we're a pretty great team. Mom's a walking art history encyclopedia. She even named me and Jackson after her two favorite abstract expressionists. She comes up with the master plan. Tonight, we're going after the legendary sarcophagus of Agnaten. This priceless Egyptian artifact was stolen by the notorious Brunelleschi family, and they are displaying it in their secret fortress, high in the Dolomite Mountains. Dad's the muscle. There are no metal bars too strong or Rodin's too heavy for him. Just one sarcophagus? That's like a night off for me. Are you sure there's not some canopic jars to recover while we're at it? My brother Jackson's our computer and gadgets whiz. Are they joking with this security software? I guess these thieves are more interested in crypts than encryption. <laughs> Access granted. And me, I've got the steadiest hands around. You need a lock picked or a precise hole cut in glass? I'm your girl. I was happy enough with my life. The missions were great family bonding time and I understood my place in our family. But something happened a few years ago when my parents made me do one of these online masterclass type courses to bolster my high school skills. When it comes to engaging with a monologuing villain, there are two schools of thought. While doing that course, I saw a thumbnail image for a different course in the corner of the screen. It showed a pair of rubber-gloved hands holding a scalpel. Those hands awoke something in me. They looked so competent, so skillful, so like mine. I clicked on it, and a woman appeared on my screen. Dr. Amber Dexter, a legendary surgeon. The secret to being a great surgeon is great hands. Even the bluntest tool can become a precision instrument in the right hands. I knew right then what I was meant to do with these magic hands. But when I told my parents, it didn't exactly go as planned. Here's how it went down. A, a surgeon? surgeon? What? What's wrong? Helen's in trouble. Jackson! Helen's in trouble. Oh, knock it off, Jackson. <laughs> Nobody's in trouble. Helen, what is this chart on the wall behind you? Right next to Mom's favorite Vermeer print? That's our family tree. Sorry to butt in, but actually, dear, that's a Van Dyke. Mom. <laughs> I know. Uh, same country, same time period. Easy mistake. Good guess. Good guess. <sighs> yes, that's our family tree, Helen. You know our family's history. We come from eight generations of art thieves. Uh, you mean master art thieves? Correct. My father took me on my first heist when I was about Jackson's age. He gave me the glass cutter you now hold in your hand, which he had received from his father. My father was convinced I could be a master glass cutter, but my hands were just too unsteady. But you, you've got an artist's hands, and your tool is the glass cutter. But does it have to be? Maybe surgery is my art, and my tool is the scalpel. And besides, Dad, you chose a different path than your family. They stole art, but you return it. So why can't I choose my own path too? You can choose your path. That's why we let you choose to be our glass cutter, right? <laughs> Seriously, Dad, give me one good reason why I shouldn't be a surgeon. Because you just can't break up the team, okay? <sighs> Darling, I can handle this. Helen, our family has a noble calling. We give great works of art back to the world. This family can do great things, but we can't do them if you're not with us. Let's just put a pin in this for now, all right, Pumpkin? Okay, so when can we talk about it? I, I, I don't know. God. Don't we have a Picasso to rescue or something? So, yeah, that didn't go great. <laughs> 
But just because they didn't want to talk about it didn't mean that the feeling went away. Something inside of me knew that I was born to be a surgeon. I secretly finished out Dr. Dexter's surgery master class. Then I got her illustrated surgical guide. And finally, the audiobook of her memoir. Never forget that while a cut to the flesh may fade, a cut to the family may never heal. I continued participating in the family missions at night. But during the day, I studied medicine. I secretly got accepted to the university where Dr. Amber Dexter teaches. So here we are about to embark on my last mission. And I've got to keep my secret hidden. So what's the explanation for that surgery audiobook? Well, uh, I was just prepping for the glass cutting tonight and well, it turns out it's quite similar to scalpel technique, so I, I thought this audiobook might help. I guess that makes sense. Unless there's anything else you'd like to tell us? Huh? Me? Nope. Uh, what about you, Dad? Are you up for the mission? Yeah, Dad. You're looking a little pale. Do you have a fever? Uh, just a little stomachache that's been bugging me since yesterday. We've put too much planning into this mission to abort now. That's right. Okay, let's move out. We're approaching the jump zone. You guys ready? Ready. In three, two, one. and stay clear of the searchlights. That's just the kind of amateur move Helen would pull. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, don't accidentally hit the ejector seat when you're flipping your switches up there. Knock it off, you two. But that's a good reminder that if things go wrong... Which they never do. But just in case, just call out a code red and Jackson will get you out of there in no time. Copy, Mom. Landing in three, two, one. Dad! <laughs> again? Uh, it's fine. You look paler. It's this brisk mountain air. All right, we're making a break for the watchtower. Uh, I'm a little slow tonight. I'll catch up to you. Dad, the searchlight! Duck! That's it. I'm calling a code red. Don't listen, Jackson. The mission is still on. Honey, that was too close. All that groaning is going to attract the guards. Are, are, are you sure you're okay? Stop asking me. I'm fine. What's next? Near the base of the tower, there's a door to the main ventilation control room. They were surprisingly lax with their security over here. I guess they didn't count on anyone parachuting in from the back. The door does require a passcode, but Helen's just going to simply rewire it. Voila! Magic hands, I tell ya. After you. I have a visual on your position in the air duct. The room with the sarcophagus is just 100 feet ahead. Copy that, Jackson. You know what, Pumpkin? Some of our best father-daughter talks happen in an air duct. <laughs> You're awfully nostalgic tonight, Dad. I know. I I'm just thinking about how grown up you're getting. You've made some big sacrifices for the team. You know, someday my duck crawling days will be over. Your mom and I have been talking, and, and we think you're the natural choice to lead the team into the next generation. 
Gee, Dad, that's flattering. But you never know what the future may hold. What if life takes me in a different direction? What would you do then? Is this about that surgery book you had earlier? Because we already discussed this. Sorry to break up this important conversation, hon, but it's almost 317 and we need to get our heads back in the mission. Right. Helen, got your glass cutter ready? As always, right here in my mission kit. All right, let's see. Uh, wire cutters, super glue, little imaging camera, extra carabiner. Ta-da! Glass cutter. Right on time. The guard just left the area. Deactivating laser sensors and alarm. <laughs> All right, you have five minutes. This is my favorite part. What a rush! Now go! Display case. Sudden pain around the navel that, that shifts to the lower right abdomen and worsens with jarring movements. Dad, your appendix is about to rupture. We've got to cut it out of you right now. Ah, now, here, in the middle of a mission. We have no other choice. Uh, but we're going to need a surgeon. And you need to get out of there in less than five minutes. With these steady hands, five minutes is plenty. But. Uh, but you don't have a scalpel or, or anything. I have everything I need. Even, Even the, the bluntest, bluntest tool can become a precision, precision instrument in the, in the right, right hands. hands. Dad, trust me. This heirloom in my hands is going to save your life. You're, you're gonna slice me with a glass cutter? Shh. I'm an artist with this. Jackson, create a diversion so the guards won't hear us. 10-4, Helen. Cranking the fans up in three, two, one. I've got a visual on the incision, and it's the cleanest cut I've ever seen. Wait, how are you going to seal him up? Yes, you've got to stop him from bleeding out! I must have something in my kit. Hurry, Helen! And just, just try not to get any blood on that Ottoman oh. Empire rug under you. Ah, super glue. Super glue? Trust me. This will close the incision well enough until we get back to the plane. Oh. Helen, you saved your father's life. <laughs> oh, you, you saved my life, Pumpkin. How did you know how to do that? This is a lovely moment, but we've got more urgent issues right now, like the guard is coming back in one minute. But we'll uh, miss our chance at the sarcophagus. Knowing you're safe is more important than some artifact. Jackson, I'm calling a code red. Confirmed. Get Dad to the safe zone and I'll be there right away. Let's get you home and stitched up, Dad. All right. Come on. How's our college, girl? Great! I've gotten settled in, and my roommates are really cool. We're so proud of you, honey. Listen, I'm sorry I wasn't always supportive of your surgery dreams. I guess I thought I knew how your life would go, and, and when you decided to follow another path, it was hard for me to accept. Thanks, Dad. I used to think I'd be going on missions with you forever, too. But I'm really thriving here. I'm just glad we can be honest with each other now. As a wise woman once said, a cut to the flesh may fade, but a cut to the family may never heal. You read Dr. Dexter's memoir. Oh, Mom, that means a lot. Thank you. I just hope the family missions have been going okay without me. We're figuring out how to carry on. Jackson's built a very promising prototype of a glass-cutting ray. Come to think of it, I think it might have some surgical applications. You leave cutting bodies to me, and I'll leave cutting glass to you. <laughs> oh, and I checked your class schedule, and I do think you could squeeze in a seminar on post-impressionism on Tuesday afternoons. Crazy! I'll look into it, Mom. Sorry, I gotta run off to my lab with Dr. Dexter. Believe it or not, today we're learning about appendectomies. Hopefully this time, you get to use a scalpel. (laughs) 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 
The Glass Cutter, an original audio drama cooked up in our secret lab here on the Appleseed. Speaking of our secret lab, I kind of have sort of the head of that lab uh, behind the (laughs) microphone with me, Daniel Davis. Daniel, what a great ride. I mean, we talked before uh, before we played the audio drama. We Mm -hmm. we talked about some of the things that people were going to hear. And that, uh, again, what a ride. Oh, man. So exciting. I think that we just had a great time with this one. We could really let loose when they're (laughs) on this mountain slope and it's high stakes and there's this fortress they're breaking into. And oh, boy, were we excited for that. I mean, those sorts of things in the sound world, we just love them because they're so interesting. And, and, you know, a helicopter, you can hear that moving all around you, sort of panning around your head and you can hear it come, you can hear it go. And those are the things that make our job really, really interesting. So I would just say that it's such a pleasure to be a part of a project like this, that, you know, professionally, you go into the studio and do do it, and then you listen to it with all the sound design, and you're like, wow, that is amazing, and it really puts you in, it, into this moment, and, and I just appreciate, as a parent, you know, sometimes mothering feels so isolating, right? Like, we just yeah. think, well, nobody understands my situation with my particular kid in this moment, and, and for privacy and love of our kids, it's hard to sort of share that all the time. So when you can hear something that sounds familiar, when there's a moment where you like, oh, I know what that feels yeah. like to kind of let go a little bit, to kind of let your child see what they can do on their own without the training wheels. Oh, when we can connect to that, it makes us feel a little less alone. And it also gives us a little bit of a, 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 a reason to sigh and saying, no, this is this is good because I've seen this. I've heard this story. I know how it ends. And and it's a little bit more connecting that way. It's really yeah. encouraging. You know, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's, it's a testament to the power of storytelling, isn't it? That something like this could leave you saying, yeah, maybe somebody does understand the kinds of things that I'm feeling as a parent or as a child. You know, that's what great stories do for us. And of course, on the Appleseed, we believe that great stories can change your world. Daniel, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Sam. Thank you. Before we go, we wanted to say thank you to those of you who have taken the time to send emails to the show or leave a thoughtful review on your favorite podcast platform. We found a review on Apple Podcasts from a user called Kelly Princess 235 The review says, I love the stories on the show. They're always so fun, easy to follow, and are a great way to ensure that I have a great day. Thanks for that kind review, Kelly Princess 235 We really love hearing from you. And when you leave a rating or a review on a podcast platform, it helps people find the show. You can also send us a note by email at theappleseed at byu.edu. Again, that's theappleseed at byu.edu. We love to share the notes that people share with us. So who knows, we might just read yours on the show. We're pleased and proud to be among the many shows in the BYU Radio family of programs. And you can find this episode or any episode from our archive on the BYU Radio app at byuradio.org slash Appleseed or by Googling the Appleseed podcast. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed.